all throughout the New Testament, Jesus would constantly refer to his followers as his sheep. Of course, if we are his sheep, then he is our shepherd. One of the most famous passages in all the Bible, certainly the most famous psalm, Psalm 23, says, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. But it's not just in the Old Testament, it's not just in the book of Psalms, but we also have in the New Testament that Jesus would call God's people his sheep. If you've been reading along with us through the New Testament as we've been doing this year as a church family, uh, we just finished or we might be coming up on Matthew chapter 9 in which Jesus, he looks upon the crowd of people and he refers to the crowd as sheep without a shepherd. Well, in the Old Testament, um, we see that one of the ways that God cared for his children, that God cared for the people of Israel, was that he provided a leader who would provide care, would be his representative. They were religious leaders, and he referred to them as his shepherd. So they were called by God to lead to God to be the shepherd of his people. But unfortunately, instead of sympathetically caring for the people and leading and guiding the flock, they didn't care for the sheep so much. Instead of caring for them, they hurt them. Instead of leading them and supporting them, they, they manipulated the sheep. In fact, they only had one interest in mind as they were leading and guiding the sheep, and it wasn't the sheep's best interest that they had in mind. It was only themselves that they were thinking about. Now, in order to understand our text this morning, which is in John chapter 10, I'd encourage you to go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 10. And by the way, if you don't have one, there's one in front of you. And I say this often, if you don't have one at home, that Bible is yours to keep. We'd love for you to take that home with you. But as always, we want to make sure that we're reading the Bible in context. And we understand the Bible is not just a bunch of random stories that are thrown together in a random order, but there's meaning and there's, there's understanding behind that. And in order to understand this text in John chapter 10 properly, you first have to look at specifically an Old Testament passage in the book of Ezekiel. Now, you don't have to turn there. The, wor the, the words will be on the screen here, the text that I'm going to use. But in Ezekiel, specifically chapter 34, the prophet, he rebuked the false prophets. And he, say, he calls them that they were Israel's evil leaders. This is what the prophet says in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. Now, again, he's not talking about real shepherds who are taking care of sheep. He's referring to the religious leaders of the time. He says, I'm against these shepherds, and I will require my sheep, meaning his flock, his children, at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall all the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. He then goes on in this passage to predict that he would send the one true shepherd, the long-awaited Messiah would come, and this one true genuine shepherd, he would come and care for his people. He would lead them and guide them with genuine care. Verses 15 and 16 from Ezekiel 34, God says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. 
I will feed them in justice. They say, Blake, why in the world are you going back to an Old Testament passage? Why are you sending us back to Ezekiel chapter 34 when we're supposed to be in John chapter 10? Well, you've got to understand that there's context here. Not only do we need to look at that, before we get to our passage in John chapter 10, let's remember what had just transpired in chapter 9. Do you remember the story of the man who was blind and Jesus gives him sight? But then he's kicked out of the synagogue. He's excommunicated for what reason? Because he will not denounce Jesus. So these religious leaders, they kick this man out of the synagogue because he professes faith in Jesus, and he's left to wander alone outside the walls. He's left to wonder, and he's left wondering if anyone is going to be there while he's fending for himself. But praise God, he doesn't wander alone long, does he? Jesus comes, and Jesus finds him. And don't miss this. Because what we're about to see is Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy that we just read about in Ezekiel chapter 34. The shepherds, the religious leaders, they had neglected their people. They were all about what was in it for who? For themselves. And they, they didn't care what it meant for the other people as long as their personal needs were met. But praise God, God doesn't forget his flock, does he? God never leaves us to wonder alone. So God, as he had prophesied hundreds of years before, he is now sending the perfect shepherd, the shepherd who would come and guide and lead his flock. Jesus is the one true good shepherd. This text that we're about to read, don't just read over it as a nice, gentle passage about Jesus being our shepherd, but instead I want you to see this is yet another fulfillment of prophecy in which Jesus is proving what John chapter 20 says, that he is the Christ, that he is the long-awaited Messiah, that he is the Son of God, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament points forward to. So that background, let's look at the very first six verses in John chapter 10. And if you would, let's stand together in, the on, in honor of the reading of God's Word. John chapter 10, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Right here, at the very beginning of John chapter 10, Jesus is making it crystal clear that he is the one true shepherd. Now again, read this in connection. There's no break. We have chapter breaks where it says chapter 10, but it wasn't like a, something had passed. It's all happened at one, one kind of a few days that pass here. 
Jesus is comparing himself, and he's making a stark contrast and saying that I am the true shepherd, comparing himself to the evil false shepherds in chapter 9 that actually kicked out the, the man who had been blind that pronounced his faith in Jesus. So he's making a comparison here. Now let me give you a little bit of a, a cultural background so that we understand the meaning and the depth of what Jesus is trying to reveal in this passage. See, in Jesus' day in the Middle Eastern region, every uh, region would have what would be kind of a, an area sheepfold. It was kind of a community pen where they would take their sheep and they would all leave their sheep together at night. So during the day, the shepherd would take his flock and they would graze throughout the countryside, but at night... Each shepherd would come together to this one sheepfold, and they would bring their sheep into the fold there. There's a picture that you see uh, that's there, and what it is is we, we would see that the shepherd would stop each sheep before they would enter into the pen or the fold. He would inspect them to make sure that everything was okay with him. Now, once they were inside, there was a hired under-shepherd also known as a gatekeeper. This under-shepherd was paid by all the shepherds who were keeping their sheep or their flock in that pen overnight. And the under-shepherd, he would watch over the flock at night. And the only person who was ever allowed to enter into that fold was the shepherd. In the morning, the gatekeeper would open the, the, the gate, and those who were truly shepherds they were the ones who were allowed to come in and gain entrance where the sheep were kept. Now, the shepherd would come through the one true door that you see there. Not as Jesus said, remember what he said in the passage we read, that some try to climb in through another way. Why would the shepherd have the ability to go through the door? Because he was the genuine shepherd, right? Because he had purchased the sheep and those sheep were his. Therefore, he had gained the right. He had gained access to enter through the door and to call the sheep to himself. When he entered that sheepfold, remember, it's not just his flock that's inside there. There's flocks from all over the community, but whenever the shepherd would enter into that sheepfold, he would call out to a sheep and what would a sheep do? They'd come running to them. Why? Because the sheep knew their shepherd. The sheep understood and could clarify and could understand, this is my shepherd, and they would go directly to their one shepherd. In fact, a good shepherd was so intimately um, involved in their sheep's life, they knew them so well that many of them, they actually named each and every one of their sheep. The sheep would follow the shepherd. Why? Because they knew their shepherd loved them. Four things I want you to write down, four takeaways that I think we can gather from these first six verses in John chapter 10. The first thing I think that we can glean from this passage is that Jesus knows his sheep. Just as the shepherd knew his sheep in this illustration, Jesus knows each and every one of his children with great detail. He knows them intimately, he knows them personally, and he knows everything about you. Jesus knows your name, but he knows more than just your name. He knows everything about you. 
He knows what you're good at doing. He knows what you're scared of doing. He knows your past. He knows your future. He knows your deepest struggles. He knows your darkest secrets. He knows all of the things that you work so hard at to keep other people from knowing this about you because you think if people really knew the true me, if people really knew this thing that I try to keep inside of me, then they would flee. And listen to me, Jesus knows that, but listen to me, he doesn't bail on you. Doesn't scare him. Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I don't know who, but someone in this room needs to hear that because some of us have this image of God as the shepherd who's leading with his whip, not leading with his voice. And we think because of something in our past, because of something that we've done, because of a thought in our mind that God is out to get us, that he's mad at us, and that he's going to get vengeance on you. Jesus knows his sheep. It doesn't stop there. Not only does Jesus know his sheep, Jesus loves his sheep. Listen to me, I've got great news for you. For those of us in this room today who are in Christ, which simply means that we have repented of our sins and that we have trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we know that we are God's sheep and you will not be forgotten. Your friends may cast you aside. Your family members may have given up on you. Church members may have disappointed you time and time again. Ministers may have let you down. But friend, your true shepherd, he will come for you and he will gather you to himself. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Church, we have such an incredible comfort in knowing that even as we walk through the most difficult, dark days of our lives, even as we walk through the trials and the tragedies that each and every one of us will experience, we know that we are not only known by Jesus, but he loves us. He knows us. He loves his sheep. Third, Jesus leads his sheep. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that God wants you to enjoy life? Do you think that God wants what's truly best for you? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or nod, but I don't want you to give me your church answer. Do you really think that God wants what's best for you? Think if we're honest, many of our friends and maybe some people in this room think that, well, once you become a Christian, once you trust Jesus as your life, well, God's some kind of killjoy, right? God's all about some rules and regulations, and he wants to keep you from having fun. He wants to keep you from enjoying everything the world does. And that's what God, you can, you can become a Christian, but once you follow Jesus, good luck, because you're not going to have nearly as much fun. You're not going to enjoy life as much as all the rest of the world. But listen to me, friends. If you follow God's plan for your life, if you understand and if you live out the purpose that he has created for your life, then you will truly have more joy and more satisfaction than you could ever imagine. 
God's not out to keep you from enjoying life. He's not trying to keep you from having fun. In fact, he says, if you'll come to me, if you'll find your life, if you'll find your purpose, if you'll find your meaning, if you'll find value in me, you will find more joy, more satisfaction than the world can ever offer you. But please don't miss this. His sheep, meaning his children, they do what? They hear his voice, but it doesn't stop there. Once they hear it, what do they do? They follow his voice. And friends, as I said a minute ago, aren't you thankful that Jesus compassionately leads with his voice? Jesus knows his sheep. He loves his sheep. He leads his sheep. Let's get practical here for a second. My desire is not for you to leave here and say, oh, great sermon, Pastor. You really like that part or this part. But let's make sure that we leave here with some, some tools, something practical that we can take home. What I want to ask is how, practically speaking, are we supposed to hear God's voice? We can talk about it all the time. We can read it all the time. But what does it mean? Because I don't know about you, but I've never heard God audibly speak to me. Can he? Absolutely. Does he? I think he does still. I just haven't heard it. How do we hear God's voice? Three ways that I think we can hear God's voice. There are others. Most importantly, I think that we hear, we discern God's voice by spending time in God's word. You cannot hear God's voice if you don't know what his word says. It's impossible. Not only through God's word, it's also through prayer through a a continual communication with God. And by the way, prayer is not just you talking to God, but it's also you pausing and being still and quiet and listening as he reveals himself to you. And third, I think that the Lord reveals himself, that we hear him as we walk in the Spirit. For those of us that have trusted Christ as our Savior, we have the deposit, the guarantee, the Holy Spirit living in our lives. And as we journey through this life, we will become sensitive, hopefully more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will speak to us, and that is how we will hear God's voice. So let me ask you a personal question. What level of priority do you give to learning Jesus' voice. Let me ask that again. What level of priority do you give to actually learning, discerning the voice of Jesus? You put it a different way. Whose voice is it that you truly value? Do you spend more time listening and discerning the world's voice, or do you spend more time valuing and doing all that you can to learn and to clearly discern the voice of God? John 10, 4, he goes before them, and the sheep will follow him. Why? For they know his voice. A genuine disciple of Jesus knows him, recognizes his voice, and follows him. Church, this two-way relationship is essential. In fact, Jesus, he gave a dreadful warning at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard me say this time and time again. It's my fear with the American church today that there are so many people who come to church week in and week out, and they think they are truly part of God's flock. 
but they're not genuinely followers of Jesus. They're just church members. They're just attenders. Listen to what Jesus said, not Blake, but Jesus. On that day, meaning the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now hear me clearly on this. Church salvation is free. The forgiveness of your sins, the redemption, the fact that you can be made, brought near to God, absolutely, completely free, paid for by Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not on your own doing, it's what? The gift of God, not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. Salvation is free, but here's what I'm afraid of. The expectation is, the expectation, in fact, is that then once you've accepted this free gift of salvation, you wouldn't simply accept it and remain unchanged. You wouldn't receive the gift of salvation. You wouldn't say, I'm going to receive this free gift that's given to me, and I'm not going to change one bit. No, the command is that once we've received the gift of salvation, which is free, then we will follow him. Then we will live our lives understanding that our lives are not our own, but it was bought at a price. And now we don't live for the glory of Blake. We live for the glory of God. Jesus put it pretty plainly. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Church, too many people today want to accept the free gift of salvation all the while ignoring the demands of following Jesus. Salvation is free, but there are expectations that follow that. That once you have been transformed, once you've been forgiven, that you will walk and hear his voice and you will follow him, seeking to honor him each and every day of your life. Number four, Jesus' sheep will not follow a stranger. If one sheep ever wandered away from the fold, all the shepherd had to do was to say his or her name and they would come right back because a sheep would not follow a stranger's voice. This is so rich in meaning for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Friends, we as Christians are not the pace setters. We're not to try to get ahead of where God's word is. We are the sheep and we are to simply follow the lead of our shepherd. What does that mean? It means that we don't get easily distracted. It means that we don't get distracted by more entertaining teaching that's in the world. It means that we don't look for more relevant or a current leader or teaching that fits in with our evolving worldview that makes us feel better about where we are in our country. We don't set the standard on what is right or wrong. In fact, we don't even get to decide what is right or wrong. We follow who? The shepherd. Why? Because he is the good shepherd. Because he leads us to green pastures. Because he leads us to still waters. He restores our soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness. For what purpose? For his name's sake. He leads, we follow. We can't get those two confused. By the way, whenever we get off track, 
Notice I said when we get off track. It's not if, but when we get off track, the sound of his voice, maybe it's his discipline. Maybe it's through time and his word. Maybe it's through the, the, the encouragement or the rebuking of a fellow believer. The sound of his voice should be enough for us to get back in line with him. The Pharisees, it says in verse 6, they just didn't understand this message. They were still confused. So Jesus gives them yet another illustration. He's going to continue along this theme of a shepherd and the sheep, but we're back to the sheepfold again. Now, the sheepfold, it had stone walls, and, and it had one entranceway, as, as we looked at a minute ago. And there's another picture I want you to see. And this picture shows that at night, the shepherd would actually lay down in front of the entrance. So the shepherd would actually serve as the gate. So no one could enter or exit the sheepfold except through the shepherd. So with that information in mind, I want you to listen closely to verses 7 through 9. And I want you to notice that Jesus here is going to clearly demonstrate in this illustration that Jesus is the gate and that the only way to gain entrance into this sheepfold is through trusting in Jesus. Verses 7 through 9. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Guys, I don't know about you, but I get fired up reading God's word. And I get so excited to see how God's word, it all fits together. And again, John is painting a picture and all of this is leading up to prove the point that he says in John chapter 20, verse 31, that he is the long awaited Messiah, that he is the son of God. But I want to make sure that we're putting all the pieces here together. So again, let's go back to chapter nine, the blind man. He was excommunicated. He was kicked out of the synagogue because he professed faith in Jesus. And in response, Jesus, he, call, he goes up to the Pharisees, he goes up to the religious leaders, and he says, don't you forget that God called you wicked shepherds. Wicked shepherds who harm the sheep. And while he's talking to the shepherds, while he's talking to the religious leaders, there were other Jews that were gathered around them, so they were overhearing this message that Jesus is giving to them. Now, imagine with me for a second how offended those listening to Jesus must have been at that moment. They had spent their entire lives thinking that it's only by trusting in the Pharisees. It's only by trusting these wicked, what Jesus calls shepherds, only by trusting these religious leaders that we will gain access to God. So they had spent all of their lives doing all that they can to keep a list of good deeds so they can get to heaven and say, God, look at my good deeds. Look what I've done for you. Their hope for eternal life was found in what? It was found in their own efforts. It was found in obeying the words of these evil shepherds that Jesus calls in verse 8, thieves and robbers. That's who Jesus is referring to when it says thieves and robbers in verse 8. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about the religious leaders, the shepherds that we saw in chapter 9. Imagine the hurt in their minds. 
Imagine the disappointment to learn everything that you believed is wrong. Everything that you thought was going to gain you access, was going to gain you into God's favor, it's been tossed aside. Now, don't you think they're wondering, Jesus, if I can't earn my way to heaven, if I can't earn my way to have eternal life, then how in the world am I supposed to gain access into your family? He doesn't leave them left to wonder. He makes it crystal clear. He leaves no room for confusion. Once you write these three things down, then we're done. Three things I think that we can learn from verses 9 and 10. Number one, what we see in verse 9 is that salvation comes through Jesus alone. Jesus says in the first part of verse 9, I am the door. I'm the shepherd. It's through me that you can become a part of God's flock. I'm the door. And by trusting in me, I will gladly give you access into God's family. I will gladly allow and welcome you into the fold. But church, listen to me. Jesus is either the door or he's not. There's no middle ground here. Jesus does not leave room for an opinion that he is one of several other ways into heaven. He can't be the door and then there's other ways around. He can't say, well, I'm the door, but you can also gain access by climbing around, by going around, by doing good things. He's either the way, the truth, and the life, is what he says in John 14, 6, or he is just one of many ways. He does not leave it open for anyone's opinion to say that he is just one way to the Father. Not only does Jesus clearly say that he is the one and only way for salvation, he also says that by trusting in him, that he offers protection. Second thing I want you to write, write this down, that through Jesus, we find true protection. The last part of verse 9, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus says, come through me and you'll find what? Protection from thieves and robbers. Come to me, enter the flock of Jesus. And then those wicked uh, people, those shepherds, they can no longer harm you. Jesus will protect you. Now hear me on this because there's a lot of confusion today in in churches and preaching all across our, our nation especially. When Jesus offers you protection, he's not promising you a pain-free life. He doesn't say, hey, if you come to me, I'll I'll give you a disappointment-free life. Ask the disciples who are all martyred for their faith. Ask missionaries around the world who are following Jesus who are still killed for their faith. Well, where's the protection there? No, 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 that's not the protection he's talking about. Instead, he offers something even greater than a pain-free life, something even greater than than a disappointment-free life. What Jesus promises us is an assurance of his presence, an assurance of his grace that will go with us every day of our life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is the protection that he offers his children. And finally, in verse 10, as we close, Jesus, is prompt, Jesus promises his sheep abundant life. 
Definitely the most famous verse in John chapter 10. Probably one of the most famous in all of John. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Other religious leaders, they had promised eternal life. They had promised, follow me, follow my words, and you will inherit eternal life. But Jesus says they were thieves. They had only come to steal, to kill, and destroy. In other words, they wanted to to profit from the sheep. Then they would simply dispose of them once they got what they were longing for, what was in their best interest. Friends, Jesus didn't come to steal. He came to give us life. And not just any kind of life, but give it how? Abundantly. What Jesus offers is a deep, joyful, a life filled with meaning and purpose. And friend, if your life is about anything other than Jesus Christ, whatever it's about, this is what I'm striving for. This is what my life is about. Listen to me. You will become disappointed. Why? Because you weren't created to find your meaning, your purpose in anything other than Jesus. If your hope is built on anything other than Jesus Christ, it will rob you of the joy that God desires for you to have, and that joy only comes through a life filled with Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly, completely, 100% lean on Jesus' name. As I said last Sunday, it's through Jesus that regardless of whatever circumstance you're going through today, that we can discover this unshakable joy. It's through Jesus that even when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that we can still enjoy this abundant life. And listen to me, this abundant life doesn't mean an abundance of possessions. Doesn't mean come follow Jesus and you're going to have all these things that are going to be given to you. No, 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 no. It doesn't even mean come to Jesus and you have an abundance of laughter and abundance of, of happy days in your life. But what it means is that you will have a life that is overflowing with joy, a life that is overflowing with meaning, and you will finally find the purpose and the meaning of why you are here on this earth. The closer that we walk with our shepherd the more regularly that we walk with Jesus, the greater our joy will be and the more abundant life will truly become. Jesus is our good shepherd. Jesus is the door. The question is, are you walking closely that you can hear the shepherd's voice today? And if you're not, I've got good news. If you've trusted him as your savior, listen closely. He's still speaking to you. Listen to his voice, and when you hear it, obey it. Follow it, no matter the cost. Because when you do, you will discover joy like you've never experienced in your entire life. Will you pray with me?
Dearly Father, we humbly ask that you would forgive us for times in which we have tried to find joy or meaning or purpose or value in anything apart from the salvation that has been freely given to us by the sacrifice of your son's life. We thank you that we can trust in you, the one true good shepherd who gently, who compassionately leads us with the sound of your voice. Lord, I long for your voice more than anything else in this world. I long that I would hear your voice and that I would humbly follow. I pray that we as a church family, that more than anything else this world offers, that what we would long for, what we would desire more than anything else, is we just want to hear your voice, and that we would say, even before we hear it, Lord, the answer is yes. Lord, whatever the cost, whatever you're telling us to do, whatever you're leading us to, the answer is yes. We just want to know that we are following you. So I pray that we would desire to learn your voice more than we desire to hear the applause of man. I pray that you would be pleased with our life. What a gift you've given us. May we use this life to bring honor and glory to the only one who is worthy of receiving praise, and that is your son. Lord, I pray that if there is one here today that has never trusted you as Lord and Savior, they thought they could earn their way into your good graces. They thought that when they got to heaven, that if the scales of justice were weighed, that their good deeds would outweigh their bad, and that that would, would say, oh yeah, come on in, you've been a good person. But today, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to them, I pray they would respond and they would say, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I don't deserve to go into that sheepfold, but by the grace of Jesus, I know that his death counts for me. And I ask him to forgive me of my sins. I trust him as my Lord and Savior, and I accept the free gift of salvation. And I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Lord, thank you for being our shepherd. I pray that we would be obedient. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.